sir. Welcome to West Virginia Commonplace. Today I have with me Fitz Kohler. She is an amazing lady. She has a great story and she has a lot that I'd like her to present um, today in this podcast. I'm going to pass it over to her in just a moment. And she also has something else that's really amazing that we will talk about after she tells you her story. So Fitz, would you please tell everyone who you are and something about you? <laughs> yeah, so I am Fitz Kohler. Uh, I am noisy. I am bossy. <laughs> that's the way I like it. Um, I do a lot of things that allow me to narrow, fo- allow me to narrowly focus on one thing, which is helping folks live better and longer. So I am a fitness expert. I got a master's degree in exercise sports sciences. I've been teaching for decades around the world. And I do that in a number of ways, um, mostly mass media. So TV, radio, books, magazines. I produce content. I appear on uh, news shows, TV shows, podcasts, and things. Any way I can connect with a listener and get them to do better and be better when it comes to health and fitness. I'm a professional race announcer and sports announcer, I should say. So I host some of the largest, most prestigious running events in the United States, Los Angeles Marathon, Buffalo, Philadelphia, OC Marathons, the DC Wonder Woman and Batman Run Series. And so I think last year, uh, well, I would say a normal year, I probably host about half a million people live at their races or events and uh, own a large school running program called the Morning Mile. So anyone who wants to get more kids moving in the morning, visit morningmile.com. And last but not least, I am a two-time author. And the second book I have is out of the blue, never thought I'd have to, or I, I never thought I would write a book like that, but it's a memoir um, detailing my 16 month battle with breast cancer while traveling around the USA every single weekend, bald and gray and noisy as hell. Okay. That's a lot. Now let's go back a little bit. Uh, College. You went somewhere interesting. I'm from the state of Virginia, so we're not truly rivals, but the, the states that are around me like Kentucky uh, have a little rival with the school that you're from. Can you tell everybody where you're from? With school yeah, I am pure Florida Gator. I got my undergrad Ooh. and my, my master's here, and I do bleed orange and blue. Okay, so that's something interesting. Now, let's get into it. Um, you know, the topic that uh, starts off everything is the cancer. Yeah. Um, you're out here, you're physically fit, you're in great shape, you're doing everything right. Um, how did you find out about the cancer? Yeah, so you're right. I am the exhibit A of if it can happen to me, it can happen to anybody. I was walking the walk and doing everything a person should do to be resilient and take care of their health and have a long quality life. Uh, but yeah, I went in for my annual mammogram in December of 2018. And I'm a big fan of annual exams of all sorts. So that was uh, a regular occurrence in my life every year. And so clean, walked out in December of 2018 with a clean mammogram, clean bill of health. Less than seven weeks later at a race weekend in the hotel bathroom, got out of the shower naked. I had an itch. So I rubbed my under boob and then I found it and it, it felt like a bean and uh, I knew exactly what it was right away. I didn't have any pause, any uncertainty. I thought, damn it, I have breast cancer. And so this is what I did. This is a big pivot point for me and something that I want everyone else to is that I did not call my mom or girlfriends and cry. I did not waste time Googling it. I picked up my cell phone instantly naked in that bathroom. And I called my gynecologist and said, Hey, now I found a lump and they took it seriously as well. And so that was a Thursday on Monday, I went in and they did an exam said, yeah, 
you need to get scanned. So a few days later, I had another mammogram and an ultrasound where they discovered not only did I have a sizey tumor in my left breast, but I had at least three hard swollen lymph nodes. Mm-hmm. The next day I had the biopsy and three weeks after finding my lump, I started chemo. Uh, 11 days later, my waist length, long, fabulous blonde hair started falling out at the Los Angeles Marathon. I I lost much of my hair on stage at that finish line. And then my life was really set on spin cycle. I continued to travel. I never missed a flight or an event or an opportunity to hug thousands of sweaty Jeremy strangers, but the chaos and adventure that ensued because of my decision-making was pretty incredible. All right. And how do you stay mentally focused during something like this? Because a lot of people, you know, that's the thing that I always try to get out when we do these podcasts is to see like the mental structure, because what happened to you and, you know, with writing a book can help someone else. How did you stay mentally focused with everything you had going on around you? Uh, Good question. I am highly determined. I am type A in the best way. So I don't sweat any of the small stuff, but when I want something, I get what I want. And thank goodness for society that everything I want is really wholesome and good. <laughs> right? It's, it's a win-win for everybody. But yeah, I am uh, stubborn as all get out. And I think, you know, the, my stubbornness was my greatest asset, my greatest curse. You know, in the, in the curse sense, it was that perhaps on some of those really rough days, I should have been lying in bed. But on the bright side, I had more adventure in a year and a half facing a, a potentially lethal disease than most healthy people have in a lifetime. And so, yeah, I make decisions and I accept no excuses. And if people try to get in my way, if people try to tell me no, you know, the, the message is clear, get off the tracks. I am coming through and uh, yeah, I'm just highly determined and um, undeterrable. Okay. So inside this diagnosis, what were some hard sacrifices that you did have to make with, with having this diagnosis. Um, oh, and one of the things I forgot to mention the name I, of my book, it's called My Noisy Cancer Comeback. And it's on hardcover, paperback, ebook, audiobook, wherever books are sold. Ideally, if you buy it at fitness.com, I sign every copy and send them out with a gift. And can you um, do something real amazing real quick? Because yeah. I, have, I have tons of guests on here. Um, could you actually spell out your website so that they can know how to go there? Yes. Thank you for asking. F is in Frank, I T Z is in zebra, N E S S.com. So it's fitness with my Z in the middle, fitness.com. Fitness. Okay. That's okay. a great ask. Great ask. And so remind me, what was the question you just asked? Um, yeah, I was in, inside your diagnosis. What were some types of sacrifices you had to make? Because there are certain things that you had to stop doing at some point, correct? That you used to do? So interesting. Yeah. I mean, the things that I chose from the get-go before anything, any any treatment occurred is I wasn't giving up my career or quality time with my kids, period, end of the story. And I I stuck to that. However, um, I was whacked completely out of exercise for about four months. I was violently ill. If you've ever had a tequila hangover, I basically had that for five months solid. And uh, I used every ounce of strength I could to do stuff with my kids and pursue my career. So exercise fell to the wayside, leisure activities, going to the park, going to the mall, going to the movies. I didn't do almost any of those things. And then really the involuntary sacrifices I made was that every iota of my body was being 
obliterated in some regard. I mean, my, my digestive system was trashed. All of my hair fell out, my, my, the hair on my head and my arms and my legs and in my nostrils and my eyelashes and eyebrows and I, my muscles uh, ended up fading. I lost 12, 13 pounds of muscles, which was, which, yeah, you know, I'm a, I'm a thin, lean person to begin with. I used to be overweight and then I lost 45 pounds and I've kept it off for decades. And then I I've prided myself on being a very fit girl with lean, hard muscles that could do wonderful things. And then, and then all of a sudden it happened. The weight started falling off and I looked, you know, my mother at one point, she said, you got to eat. You look like you're in the Holocaust. And I, and obviously no person or cancer patient wants to hear that. And I, I was trying to eat, but my stomach was uh, wreaking havoc on me. There was no way to get enough calories in. And so I was like, thanks mom, that's not helpful. But it was very challenging to watch myself wither away. Uh, fortunately for me, I was promised a light at the end of the tunnel. You know, With breast cancer, 94% of all breast cancer cases are curable. Bad news is with a disease that affects one in every eight women, that still means the 6% of people of women who are dying, um, that's a big number, right? And we actually have some men with breast cancer as well. But I was promised from the start that my breast cancer would be curable. And so I endured all of this hardships. I endured watching my body wither away. None of my clothes fit. I would have to go to a fancy VIP party for a race weekend and none of my dresses fit. They just hung like potato sacks and people would comment on my thinness, my face, my cheeks were sunken in and, you know, my face was more wrinkly because I had less fat in my face. So uh, there were definitely difficult, not just moments, but the whole thing was um, really quite unbearable. And I'm so grateful that it's passed, that I'm done with it, hopefully never see cancer again. And, uh, you know, I still look back and think, holy cow, I can't believe I did that. I, I'm, it's hard to wrap my head around the fact that I actually had cancer, had chemo, had radiation, had surgeries, all of those things, but I'm glad it's done. All right. So now we'll go into a, a, a stage inside of here, uh, losing your hair. You're going to yeah. these races, you're on stage. How did you keep your uh, good self-esteem and confidence when you're out there performing in front of people? Because being on a stage like that, you're in front of, like you said, a half a million people or a million people, you're in front of a lot of people right. and you're in everybody. We can say whatever we want in society, but your appearance is nine times uh, out of 10, the cell of what you're doing. So how did you feel confident about yourself and how did you um, encourage the crowd with how you looked? Yeah. So it was hard. It was hard seeing my appearance change. And, you know, I would look back at pictures and myself would pop up in my cell phone, you know, like memories of years past. And I would look and go, oh my gosh, I was so pretty. And I would think that while I had no eyelashes and I was bald and so forth. But um, my career is, has never been about me. It's been about being a beacon of health and happiness for other people. And so, you know, the old mantra of until you make it, fake it. I decided that I had to be what they needed. And you know, one of the most poignant moments was uh, before, so I had the Los Angeles marathon where my hair fell out, but I still had hair and the runners didn't really know what was going on behind the scenes. I went home from LA marathon, immediately shaved my head. And then I had, and I live in Florida. So I had to go get back on a plane to go back to California the next weekend for another race. And I had a 
a, a decision point there where I had already decided I wasn't going to wear wigs. It just wasn't for me. Right. Like for the people who choose that, it wasn't, uh, didn't suit me. However, I could have worn a hat. It was very cold. And even with my long hair, I used to wear hats for warmth. And I just decided that I wasn't going to do that, that, you know, out of the 5,000 athletes I had in front of me that day, that a good chunk of them was going to have to face cancer treatment one day and a good chunk of them may lose their hair. And I decided that perhaps if I stood on that stage bald and loud and proud and noisy as ever, that maybe those people would decide that their bald head was okay too, and they wouldn't have to hide. And so I never hid the bald head. I, I, I roamed the country, you know, like I said, like a cue ball and I would wear hats here and there for sun protection or for warmth. Um, but I never hit it and I hope it helps somebody. And, you know, people were always very sweet. They were always said, you have the best head and wow, you have such a cute bald head. Or this was my mom. My mom actually <laughs> said she was full of these doozies, right? So it went from you, you look like you were in the Holocaust. That was later in my treatment. But at the start, she goes, you know what? I always thought you and your sister were pretty, never beautiful. But now that I see you with no hair, you're beautiful. <laughs> Uh, oh, okay. Thanks, mom. So uh, it was it was an interesting time. And even though I think I was pretty before, I, I never based anything about who I am on my looks, you know, and I don't believe anyone in the world has ever chosen me based on my appearance. And so the fact that it went to the wayside for a while was just fine. It just was just fine. I didn't like it. It may be sad, but it didn't deter me. And that's very encouraging that you embraced it and you ran with it like you run in life. And right. yeah, and, and you kept that going. So what about on the flip side, you're back home. Um, how did you feel when you were around people you know, day that you see day to day and stuff? How did you feel around them? Um, so just fine. I, I definitely felt sad for my kids that they had to see me sick. You know, I never took them to any doctor's appointments. I, I brought them in twice. Once when I finished radiation and the only thing they were exposed to was me ringing the bell. And then they met me in the lobby of the infusion center when I finished chemo. So I didn't expose them to any of the hard stuff. Um, yet they would see me at home feeling sick and looking sick. And it was, you know, it was sad to burden them with that. They're resilient. They have wonderful little lives of their own. They're teenagers. So they have friends and schools and activities, but I tried not to make a difficult situ situation worse by agonizing over it, you know, harping on it with my kids. We, uh, we quickly went from crying over my hair loss to them poking merciless fun about me and my bald <laughs> head. So um, yeah. And then the locals, you know, just, I, I think in the running world, sometimes I get put on a pedestal, you know, I'm their favorite announcer and we kind of know each other. And so perhaps they feel differently than the people that see me every day in the neighborhood, but everyone was very kind. And I, I really couldn't have asked for more as far as moral support went. Okay. Um, on this show, I pay homage to a TV magazine that we all grew up with. It's called 2020. It yeah. had Diane Sawyer on there. It had Barbara Walters. It had John Stossel. And he did a funny section. Oh, I love John Stossel. Yes. Well, we're not going to do the John Stossel today. We're going to do the Diane Sawyer and we're going to lead into the Barbara Walters. Diane Sawyer was always a setup to the next uh, person that was interviewed because Barbara Walters hit you with hard-hitting questions. Right. So, um, and everybody tells a great story of their triumphs, but the Diane Sawyer question for you is this, and then I'll follow up with another one, and then we'll get to the okay. Barbara Walters question. Okay. Okay. What was a failure 
that happen in all this? Because we all have success, but we a lot of people like to shy away, not saying you do, but a lot of people like to shy away and not tell about a failure that happened or something that happened that wasn't successful during this period of time. Was there a time, or if it what if you were stay successful the whole time, which it could be, was there a time that you had a down period? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So failures galore. You know, I I tell about it in my book, but I had these three mini goals. And they were, I mean, as, as silly as they may sound to someone else, but for me, I wanted to keep my muscles. I wanted to keep my eyelashes and I didn't want to spend any nights in the hospital. To me, that would have been like declare victory, stomp on the grave of cancer. And so um, I lost, I remember losing my eyelashes. Not only did I lose them, but it was like the right eye, all those lashes came out and then I still had lashes on the left eye. And so I look like that psycho baby from the Toy Story oh. movies with the robot yeah. legs. And, and then uh, I, I was in Denver with that experience and it was a hundred degrees. I was hosting a Wonder Woman race and there I was on the stage with only one eye full of lashes, feeling like a total freak. And it was 100 degrees, Mile High Stadium, and I was sick as a dog. And I remember going back to the hotel, sitting on the bathroom, the shower floor, just so sick. And I was trying to pull the extensions. I had lash extensions on those lashes just to exasperate the weirdness. And as I pulled out each lash, what I didn't realize is all my, all my real lashes were coming out. So um, there I was, lashless in Denver, and that stuck around for a while, which was strange. And then uh, I another fail with the hospital stay is I had come home from the Buffalo marathon weekend. And as I was traveling the country, my race directors were announced, were arranging for medical practitioners to come give me IV fluids. So I'd announce a race, go straight back to my hotel and I'd be jacked up full of saline or the medical directors on site were working to keep me afloat. So we made a lot of efforts, but I put in an extraordinary amount of effort at that race and when I was done, I, I could feel my body shutting down. I could feel just my mind shutting down. I couldn't focus. And I kept thinking, oh, God, something's wrong. Uh, but I don't want to say anything. I don't want to interfere with other people's fun. We were at a celebratory dinner. I, I, I had told them, I'm really tired. I need to go back to my hotel room. But really, things were shutting down. And I was in a bad place. And so I made it back home to Gainesville went in for IV fluids, I thought, and that my chemo nurse looked at me and she said, oh no, come back. And they took my blood and I ended up having to be hospitalized overnight for trans blood transfusions, which was, you know, I just, that was devastating to me. A, I didn't want stranger blood. First I refused it. I was like, hell no, you're not putting somebody <laughs> else's blood in my body. That's nasty. And they said, listen, if you don't take these two units now, we're going to have to give you seven on Wednesday type thing. And so I said, fine. Um, but I thought I was just going over to the hospital to sit in a room, get the transfusion, go home. And they brought me into a, uh, into a, an actual room to check in. And I, I hadn't realized what was happening. And that was just a big, I, I just sobbed. I just sobbed. You know, it's just hard to see yourself wither away. I mean, there was, there was a lot of moments there. There definitely was time to despair and as happy as I was. And I, and I genuinely forced that because that's who I am. That doesn't have to be every, every other cancer patient or person with illness or injury doesn't have to follow my path at all. I think I, I had a lot of moments to be proud of. I chose to thrive while trying to survive. I never had a pity party. I never said, why me? 
However, I did sit alone in my car almost every day and sob. I did sit in the bathroom and sob and shake. It's just, it's such a stressful experience. So yeah, there were failures. Some of them were failures that obviously I couldn't control, but, um, but yeah, there were, there were goals that I'd set that I, that I fell short of and it was, it was hard. Okay. So you bounce back, uh, you go into remission and then you're well, what started the process of the book? Well, I actually started writing the book. I started treatment in March of 2019. I started mm-hmm. writing the book in July. And here's the deal. As I started treatment, you know, I, I didn't want to tell anyone I had breast cancer and I would have kept it quiet other than the fact that people were going to see me bald on these stages, yes, right? Yes, yes. Figure out something was wrong. So I had to make this video, a strangest thing. I have breast cancer. Anyone can go to my fitness channels on social media or my website and you can see that video. And, uh, but what I did decide after telling people, Hey, listen, I've got breast cancer. I'll be fine. I will show up and work at my events. I expect no pity. You can root for me, but I'm going to be fine. Uh, what I decided from there on out is I would not reveal what was going on behind the scenes. So as people said, how are you? I would say I'm great. I'm fine. All they ever saw was a happy, cheery face. They had no idea about the crisis crises that were happening each day or throughout each week and progressing uh, getting worse. So as I kept it a secret and things were going wacky, Twilight Zone type stuff, I started thinking, you know what, when I'm done with this, people would get a kick out of hearing about it. The fact that I was landing in different states and being shuttled over to IV fluids. Uh, there's a chapter in my book that references me being naked in the airport, which I was naked in the Atlanta airport. And I, I started thinking, you know what, people get a good kick out of this. And then the other thing is nobody really talks about what it's really like to have cancer. And so people say, Hey, you might be sick. You might be tired. You might be bald. And all of that is true. But then there's all of these gory details that nobody gets into and they're universal themes. They're not just breast cancer. My friends with brain and colon cancer are experiencing the same dang thing. And when the avalanche of side effects continued on my fingernails rotted out while on my hands. I kid you not, they were yellow and bumpy, but then they rotted and they stayed there. And so anytime my hand came near my face, I was blown away by the stench of my nails. And I'm a very clean person. And I just thought, holy hell, this is actually kind of funny. You know, if people, people knew, you know, the extent of this experience, they would get a laugh. And, And that's where it is, is I'm very sarcastic. I had all these nicknames to go along with what I look like at the time. I started out at Shrek and then I, I morphed into that crazy baby with the one eye and the robot legs. And then I ended up as Voldemort once I lost all my lashes. And <laughs> so that was it. I thought I can put um, a, a happy face on a hard subject and I can help other cancer patients get through it better. And what's what's great is people are calling now the Bible for cancer patients. Like once you're diagnosed, you have to buy the book for your mom, your cousin, your dad, your boss, who's been diagnosed because this thing is apparently a how-to manual for other people to thrive while trying to survive. So, you know, uh, all's well that ends well, right? Yes. Yes. All right. Now for the Barbara Walters questions. Okay. All right. You're, you got your book yeah. and you're, you, you, you've written to the middle of the book. Okay. You're seeing your self-care that you're doing with the book. Self-care comes from whenever we write or do anything like that. Um, 
when did you figure that it would be more than just being influential to other pa- to other cancer patients? Like, when did you know that, like, when either in the middle or when you finished the book, that it was going to have an impact on the world? Because everybody writes things, you know, and, and some people, you know, and I'm not talking about, like, getting praise from someone, but you actually know when you write something, if it's golden, when did you know that it was golden? Uh, that's a good question. I think when I started, uh, so I, I wrote the book in kind of journal style. I did not keep a diary. Uh, but my life is so rigidly structured with dates because of my race weekends and my treatments were all in my calendar. So it's, it's journal style. And I did that because dates matter. People say, well, when did you find your lymph? When did you start treatment? When did you have surgery? So I, so I, I detailed it out, not every day, but the, the, the important days are listed. Um, so I started treatment in March of 2019. And I think when I got to writing about my experiences in November, and, you know, I had turned the corner. I was still doing chemo because I had 15 months of chemo. And really the book starts from diagnosis to my last day of chemo. But this Philadelphia marathon was somewhere in between. And I was there in this huge historic American city with, I don't know, I think we had 30,000 athletes that weekend. They were lined up so far back that I couldn't even see them all at the start line. I mean, it was that much of a mob scene and it was dark and it was gray and it was raining in our face and 30 degrees. And I, it was a very powerful moment for me. I, I, I did a little ca- cancer spiel because I was actually brought in by the American Association of Cancer Research. So gave about 60 seconds to that. But then when it was time to start the race, you know, I'm the ringmaster. And so there I was with my little crew cut and my microphone and I bellowed, Philadelphia, it's time for jumping. And it was much more exciting than that. But <laughs> when I bellowed that, 15,000 people started jumping. And, you know, I was there, I was this cancer patient raising the roof on one of the greatest cities in America. And uh, I thought we were going to knock monuments down with all of those people jumping. So that's the kind of power you get when you choose it. And of course, I have a a unique position where I do uh, take control of large crowds, et cetera. However, but maybe you're that person at the daycare. Maybe you're the best person in your physical therapy office, or you're just a great parent, but you have these moments where you can be awesome. And, you know, in the middle of hell, I chose to be awesome, as awesome as I can be. There was a bunch of sick, ugly, sad moments, but I also chose to be awesome, harness my power and, you know, God help the earth as I move forward as a very healthy uh, professional, because I will not relent and I've, I'm, I'm excited. I'm very excited to get back to the masses as soon as possible. Okay. Now let's um, divvy over into your other things that you have going on. Yeah. Um, if you, we head over to your website, what are we going to find over on the website? Ah, fitness.com. Well, at fitness.com houses all the information about me, anyone would want to know. So if people are hiring corporate speakers or a video host, et cetera, then you can learn about me there. But you, it's filled with thousands of articles. And the purpose of fitness.com is to be a hub for tools people can use to become fitter today. So there's tons of videos and recipes and articles. You're looking at it. It's pretty yes. good, right? Yes. I'm looking at it as you're speaking. Um, so let me ask you a few questions. Um, 
in doing, if someone wants to contact you uh, to get involved, to get inspired, to get in shape, to do anything, um, what's the best way to do it and how do things trickle from there? Yeah, alwaysfitness.com. That's my home base. I will live there forever, fitness.com. And there's actually a contact fits button and there's a store. Again, anyone who wants to buy one of the hardcover or paperback versions of my book, that's a place to go. All of those copies come signed with a fun gift with purchase. But I'm also on social media. I'm at fitness on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, uh, Fitz Kohler on LinkedIn. And not only do I want people to follow, but please reach out and say, hi, I want to communicate with you and uh, help you live better and longer, get you to do better, be better. Now I see something that interests me. I can do hard things. You yeah. have stickers. Where does that, where did that drive and where did that come from? Yeah. So I'm actually showing JR right now. It's a big sticker on the back of my phone. So I can do hard things became this little mantra I didn't even realize that I had. So I'm, I'm a medical wimp. I used to be a kickboxer. I used to fight in an arena in front of thousands of people. But when it comes to needles and scans and tight spaces, I'm very, I'm very nervous. So what I found myself doing is as I was taking another step forward into something that terrified me, as I was coaching myself up and I kept saying, okay, you can do this. You can do hard things. You used to fight, you know, you've raised great kids. You've built a big business. You can do hard things. And that was just this internal mantra. I never once said it out loud because I thought of course <laughs> people would think I was a lunatic, but internally that's what I kept repeating. I can do hard things. I can do hard things. And eventually I had said it enough that I had reached my finish line and done with treatment. So, um, you know, the reality is, is we all have challenges. Thankfully, not everybody has cancer, but, you know, building a, a successful podcast, JR, that's a hard thing. And raising kids and going to, a, you know, a nine to five job every day can be really hard. And, you know, life is tough and you just have to choose to be tougher. And so, yeah, the I can do hard things sticker is what everybody gets at fitness.com. If you buy your book there, I, I sign it and I put the sticker in um in that front page for you to put wherever you like, usually in a place where you can see it back of your phone, your laptop, your steering wheel, pick a place. And I hope it helps you through the tough stuff. And they are readily, readily available on your shop too. Yeah. Fitness.com. You can actually buy packs. And so some people, they reach out, they're like, how do I get 50 of these? And I said, uh, okay, you can buy 50 of those. So there they are. <laughs> All right. So uh, to finish this up, I want to thank you once again for being on West Virginia and commonplace. Um, we, we do this little thing on the show. Um, I had a rapper on the show and uh, he makes pretty good music. He can solve an Arubis cube in 40 seconds. Wow. I had a lady in Georgia on here uh, that goes to the Goodwill. She buys um, artwork, puts rhinestones and glitter on it, resells them and actually gets a good markup on it. Um, have another lady that I deal with. Uh, she is out of Boston. I just came back from there and um, she cannot stand the sound of a carbonated drink opening like a can. When she hears it, it just stops and it ruins her life for that day and she okay. won't drive a car. So what I need you to give me in the audience is a secret or a hidden talent that no one knows about you. Oh boy, hidden talent. Um, hmm. Well, I don't know if it's a secret, but I was the birthday clown at the skating rink when I, that was one of my very first jobs. And 
and obviously <laughs> led into great things, but I was the birthday clown. I wore the clown outfit and I think the colorful Afro with the hat and on roller skates, I would lead the hokey pokey and lead uh, whatever, shoot the duck or whatever silly games we had. And I would deliver pizza and hot dogs and cake. And I think that's where I got my inspiration <laughs> to do what I do. So um, birthday clown, how about that? Is that, yeah, is that, that one's good. dark? That one's deep and dark, kind of twisted a little bit. I could think of the character from It. <gasps> That's right. <laughs> yeah, I didn't think anyone was fearing me, but I might have been terrifying people as I rolled around that skating rink on wheels in my bright polka dotted outfit. But yeah, yeah, you know what? I I'm I have no shame, so I do have pride, but I I do not have shame when it comes to um, I will throw myself under the bus anytime, every time, in order to help others have fun. And, you know, it, it certainly has put me in a bunch of goofy moments throughout my life, but it's also worked for me, I think. Okay. And, and that's very warranted. And I, and I like that about the clown. Now, lastly, um, everybody um, works hard on themselves and everybody uh, has some form of encouragement from someone or something. Sometimes it's not a person. Sometimes it could just be a stress ball that you've had since 1985. That's the year I was yeah. born. Um, you know, so... Um, is there anyone you want to give a shout out to or any entity you want to give a shout out to? Uh, you know what? I, I can start with my dog who's taking great care of me, but I have a couple of men in, within the running industry that they're responsible for me getting my start in this incredible per profession. So race announcer, Rudy Novotny, he is the voice of so many races throughout the United States. He's extraordinary. He brought me on. He said, Hey, I think you're going to be a star. I think, well, he didn't even say, I think you're going to be a star. He just said, Hey, I think you'd be great at this. You want to come do a race with me and race director, Gary Kutcher, the OC marathon that he uh, had a brief conversation with me, looked at my website, watched some videos of me. And he said, you know what? I'd love to give you a chance. And he hired me for the very first race I announced. And, and some racers race or announcers start out at a local 5k. I started out at a mega marathon with 20,000 athletes and uh, I think I headed out of the park within an hour of yelling go on marathon morning. He came over and said, Hey, can you come back next year? So I'm so grateful for this profession that I adore. So Rudy and Gary, thank you. Okay. okay. And once again, I want to thank you for being on West Virginia and commonplace. Um, quick testimonial that we, that I always like to give to everybody. Um, and it's real simple. Um, what you're doing in the world makes you more than what people call influencers and stuff like that. You're a natural hug. Mm. With, and that right there, take that as a compliment or take it for however you want. The hug that you're doing with races, with the book and all that other stuff, stuff is very commendable. Um, a self pat on the back for that, for the simple fact that a lot of people are not courageous. And, not, and a lot of people would just cower at what happened to them. They would take their story and bottle it up and keep it inside, even if they didn't have the success of living through it or this the success I mean or unsuccessful in, in dying, which dying is not a unsuccessful, but you get what I mean. So I really want you to look at yourself in the mirror sometime today and be like, man, I'm making a difference out here in the world. A lot of people don't hear that and we don't give that kind of praise to people. So me, for me to the audience, to you, is just one simple thing. You are more than an influence, you're an inspiration. An inspiration lasts longer than uh, 
spoken word or written word. So I want you to keep that, okay? Well, I appreciate it, JR. And for all of your listeners, if they need any help in the health and fitness realm, you know, my I do not charge individuals for information. I've created a wealth of resources because I genuinely want people to live better and longer. And so I'd love to be of service to you. And I appreciate you having me on your podcast. You're an absolute delight. This has been so much fun. And I look forward to hearing from folks. Again, you can follow and that's nice, but I'd rather have you say hello. That would mean a lot more to yes, me. Yes, and that's Jan. one thing that I would just say too. Um, thank you once again, and we're signing off. <laughs>